the door closed. I was 12 years old. My dad was standing on the inside, and I was standing on the other side out in the garage. And I don't remember what my dad said, but I just remember being angry, like furious. And, you know, at that age, it doesn't always make sense. And so it just boiled up inside of me, and I opened my mouth. And what came out was the most unpastorly set of expletives that you can imagine. In fact, if I were to, if you heard that today, I would be ashamed. But it just, it just started coming out, words that I'm sure my dad didn't know I knew. And he was on the inside, though, and I was on the outside. I just remember my sister standing there. Her eyes were like wide open, like, what on earth is happening? And I just let it rip. And I get to the end of it. I take a breath, and the door opens again. And my dad is standing there. He heard every single word. And so I kind of stand there. It's silent for a moment, and he calmly, collectively says, son, uh, go to your room. So I make the long trek across the house up to my bedroom. I was at an awkward age where I certainly hadn't gotten a spanking in a couple years, but I was not above it. In fact, in that moment, I knew I deserved it. And I sat there for what felt like hours. And finally, my dad comes up the stairs. He sits across from me. And he says, calmly, what you said hurt me, and I'm disappointed. Oh! So I apologize. We talked about it for a minute. And here's the thing. In that moment, there was no punishment. There was no consequence. Not only did I not get a spanking, I didn't have any other consequences that came with it. And I tell you what, that lesson stuck with me my entire life. Because I deserved the wrath of dad. I was disrespectful. I was incredibly inappropriate. And in that moment, I was passed over in judgment. Today, we're looking at the Passover from the story of Exodus. And, you know, there are times in life when we don't like being passed over. Maybe at work, you put a lot of extra time or effort in. You feel like you've been doing a good job and you're passed over for a raise or a promotion. Maybe there's someone that you have an interest in romantically and you have a big crush and no matter what you do, it's just not reciprocated. You're passed over in a relationship. Then there are times in life where it's good to be passed over. I don't know if many of you are like me and have been pulled over for speeding and the officer walks up to the car and says, sir, do you know why you've been pulled over? Yes, (laughs) yes, I do. I was going a little bit fast and receiving the grace of not getting a speeding ticket. It feels good to get passed over. I deserved it and I didn't receive it. Or maybe there's a moment you can think of when words came out of your mouth that you didn't mean to say, kind of like my story, to a friend or a loved one. And think about how those words can hurt and impact. And receiving forgiveness when it was not earned, being passed over, and what you deserve. Today, we are looking at Passover. And Passover in the Old Testament is literally translated as when God's judgment was passed over his people. And so if you are a Christian, if you are one of God's people, you are thrilled that God passed over us in judgment. 
We should be happy that we don't face judgment. And this morning, good morning to those of you who are gathered here in Mount Pleasant. Good morning to those of you who are gathered in Alma. Good morning also to those of you who are watching online. We're so excited that you're with us today. We've been going through this Moses series uh, in the book of Exodus. And uh, up to this point, we're coming up to Exodus chapter 12. And as a quick summary, around 70 people initially come into Egypt with Jacob during the story of Joseph. And those 70 people over a period of about 400 years have grown into a multitude into the millions And the Israelites, over this period of several hundred years, didn't just grow in population, they also grew in prosperity. Whatever they seemed to do, God would bless it as they were God's people. And the Egyptians responded to this prosperity not by saying, yay, uh, we get to enjoy the prosperity of these people that are living among us. They respond by enslaving them. And so in captivity, in slavery, in bondage, the people of God cry out to God, And God responds by sending Moses. He uses Moses to deliver them from slavery into freedom. And God sends, ultimately as part of this process of freeing them, 10 plagues on the Egyptians to get their attention. Last week, we talked about nine of those plagues. And here in Exodus 12, we are talking about the final plague, the 10th plague, easily the most severe plague. Starting in verse 12, on that same night, this is God speaking, I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of the people, both of people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So God comes to this final moment, this final plague, the death of every firstborn son in Egypt. It says that there will be a wailing and a mourning following this plague in Egypt, unlike any that has been felt before. More space here in Exodus 12 is given to this 10th plague than any of the previous plagues. It's significant. The deliverance of the Israelites through this plague is what we know as the Passover. And Passover would ultimately become a pivotal act of deliverance that would define the Israelites' relationship with God moving forward. In fact, we'll see that it lays out the basis of our relationship with God. So today I want to talk about how Passover tells us about our sin, our substitute, our salvation. It also tells us about ourselves. So first, how does Passover tell us about our sin? You know, sin can be a churchy word. Sin is defined as rebellion against God. Anytime you do something that is apart from what God actually wants of you, that's sin. Another definition that I I hear often about sin is sin means missing the mark. If there's a mark of what God desires for you to do or for what God wants you to, to, to be in this life, when we miss that, that's sin. And we all sin, every single one of us. But I wonder, do we actually know how expensive sin is? Do we actually know what it costs? Sin is expensive. It, it costs something. In Romans 6:23, it says what the cost of our sin is, for the wages of sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The cost of sin is death. Big sins, small sins, sins that we don't even think you know, people notice, sins that we commit on ourselves, all of it. Sin costs life. It takes life. Sin ultimately ends life. So God, he sends the plagues on Egypt, these ten plagues on Egypt, as a judgment for their sin. And there were a number of reasons why they deserved judgment. They certainly deserved judgment, actually, it says in the text, uh, because of their worship of these false gods, these Egyptian gods. There were somewhere uh, between 115 well-known gods. Many scholars say there were up to 2,000 false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And God is establishing his sovereignty. Pastor Allen talked about this last week. This is all, the, the plagues are also a judgment on Pharaoh. Pharaoh actually establishes himself, not just as the leader of the Egyptians, but he is worshipped as a false god. The plagues are sent as a judgment on the Egyptians who worship these false gods, who had a part in, in cap, uh, putting the Israelites into captivity. And many of us may look at this and have no problem with understanding the judgment that was faced by the Egyptians. But the plagues were also a judgment on the Israelites. The Israelites were also subject to the judgment. God's people. You may hear that and ask, why? Like our, you read the story and you think of the Israelites as the good guys, the ones that God is trying to set free But the Israelites actually faced judgment for a few reasons. They deserve judgment because of their stubbornness. God responds to their pleas for freedom. He sends Moses, and Moses comes in, and initially they reject God's messenger. They deserve judgment for their own idolatry. We actually can't see it here in this text, but later in Joshua, Joshua is speaking to the Israelites after they've been freed from Egypt many years later, and he pleads with them, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped back in Egypt. Instead, serve the Lord. Living amongst the Egyptians, they had taken on and assimilated into much of their ways of life, into their ways of worshipping these false gods. And the Israelites faced judgment ultimately because they had rejected. They had turned away from God. They had the same problem with sin that each of us do. Here's the real interesting thing looking at the story. These judgments against Israel are the same judgments that represent the predicament, the dilemma of all humanity. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Every person other than Jesus who has ever lived has fallen short, has missed the mark from what God desires from us. And so if you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I don't know if I'm a sinner. I don't like that word. I I hear that word and I think of maybe that other person who just obviously can't get things right. If you don't believe that you are a sinner, you are misinformed of your true condition. You may think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good for the most part. Like, there's none of the biggie sins, the ones that, you know, really get you in trouble. I don't have a problem with any of those. I try to be a good person. What the Bible says is that you have a sin problem. You have a problem with sin, every single one of us. And because of your sin problem, the cost of that sin is death. You deserve death. I deserve death. 
because of the ways that we rejected and rebelled against God, we deserve an eternity apart from him in a place called hell. And if left to ourselves, because of this problem with sin, we deserve judgment. We're in the exact same position as the Israelites. Sin is absolutely expensive. It has a price. It's a price that we don't want to pay. But fortunately, Passover doesn't only tell us about our problem with sin. Passover also tells us about our substitute. So we have the sin problem, but God, in his infinite mercy, has a solution. He provides a substitute for sin. A few years ago, before I was on staff here at the church, my wife and I were volunteers uh, with the youth ministry. And I remember one particular youth retreat. We took a group of middle schoolers, and we were trying to get across uh, this idea of, of sacrifice, of, of offerings. And so the youth pastor at the time brings this cute little stuffed animal on the trip. And over the course of this trip, it becomes the mascot. The kids fall in love with this thing. They dress it up. They name it. It eats meals with them. They, they have it at all the different times that they're gathering together. It becomes probably the most popular member of our group. And the last night, they're trying to illustrate this idea of sacrifice. Uh, the youth pastor at the time gets out a chainsaw. And he fires it up and proceeds to cut the stuffed animal in half in front of the entire group. Eyes get wide. They're all staring, trying to figure out what's happening. There's fluff going everywhere. Some of them may still have trust issues many years later <laughs> from that particular retreat. But I tell you what, they never forgot the imagery of what a sacrifice, a substitute means. Chapter 12, verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of each month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So every single household in Israel, they would take this perfect year-old lamb, and that would serve as their substitute for sin. It would take their place of judgment. The judgment that they deserved would be substituted. Have you ever seen a baby lamb? Less than a year old? So cute. So cuddly. This lamb meant for the offering, it was meant to be perfect, without defect. And the families, they would actually keep it with them for a period of five days, so they didn't just go get the lamb and then kill it. You know, God had built in here this process where these families would care for this lamb for five days. I imagine for these families, these kids, they couldn't help it. They fell in love with these little lambs. They cared for them. They fed them. They probably, despite themselves, came to love these lambs. And the fifth day, the dad would take the lamb. It would cut its throat. Red blood would flow over white wool. Imagine the shock of that. Probably shocking for everyone, but imagine these families with children. They're asking, Daddy, why? And the parents would explain, the lamb was your substitute. 
You know, it's interesting. The death of a lamb has always been what God has required. In the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, they sin for the very first time, and they feel shame and cover themselves with fig leaves. And in the Bible, it says that God, God came and he killed an animal and covered them with animal skins. And many scholars have said that likely that would have been lamb skin. One lamb was killed for each of them. There's a progression. Here we come to Exodus 12, and one lamb is sacrificed, is substituted for each family. There is one lamb killed for each family. Later in Israel's history, during Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, one lamb was killed for the nation. The, the blood of a perfect, spotless lamb was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, and that would be a substitute of sin as atonement for the entire people. But the best was yet to come. When Jesus came, the Lamb of God, one lamb was killed for the world. This is the consistent message throughout the Bible that if you want to meet God, you must meet him on the basis of a lamb. The foundation for a relationship with God because of the cost of our sin is the blood of an innocent substitute. In Genesis 22, Abraham, who is the father, the ancestor of all these Israelites, God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, I will make your descendants greater than the sands on the earth. And God tests Abraham. He has him bring Isaac with him for a sacrifice and says, do not bring a lamb with you. And Abraham responds. So Abraham and Isaac, they're walking up the mountain. Abraham is curious if he's going to have to sacrifice his son. And Isaac's looking around, probably a little bit curious, maybe a little worried. He says, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And in that instance, God does provide a lamb as they go on together. But at the end of your life, you will stand before God. And God will ask you this question, where is the lamb? You might say, well, I was a good person. I felt like I did the right things. I, for the most part, I, I tried to be good. And God will ask, where is the lamb? You might say, well, I went to church. I was part of a small group. I, I, I did all the things I thought I was supposed to do. And, and God will say, what about the lamb? You say, well, I, I gave him the offering. I tried to be generous towards other people. Where is the lamb. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that allows us to stand before God. There's nothing that we can do on our own to pay the expense for sin. And Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate substitute for us. Jesus is consistently referred to as the lamb throughout the Bible. Isaiah 53, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Revelation 13, 8, so speaking of Jesus, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The Passover story illustrates our need for a substitute. 
And if it's not us paying the penalty for sin, another must pay the penalty of death in our place. And so for the Israelites, that was illustrated through the death of these sacrificial lambs. But for you and me, it points to our need for Jesus. Passover also tells us about our salvation. You see, God didn't just require a lamb. He required the death of a lamb. I don't know about you, but you might read through some of these Old Testament accounts, read through this story and think, what's up with all the blood? Like the slaughter. Why is it so graphic? The story of the Passover indicates the importance of blood being shed. But why? It's because blood represents life. Shed blood was a sign that a life had ended as a substitute for their own. It was a sign of salvation that served for both God and for the Israelites. You, know, you imagine for the Israelites at this moment putting the blood on their doorposts when they, what they thought about that first Passover. In verse 13, it says, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When the Israelites saw the blood on their doorways, it was a reminder for them that sin had been paid, that their sin had taken a life, it had cost a life, that a lamb had died in their place, and they knew that they were covered, they were safe, that their guilt had been removed because of the sacrifice of their substitute. A little bit later in verse 23, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter the houses and strike you down. And so when God saw the blood, it was a sign to him that a death had already occurred for sin in that house. A payment for sin had already been made, and God's judgment, his wrath that was deserved, was turned away from them as a result. Now think about that as it relates to us. In light of the redemption that we receive in the cross, that if you have received the free gift of grace from Jesus, that when we look up at the cross, we are reminded that a payment for our sin has been made. And when God looks down at the cross, he sees that judgment has already been fulfilled for our sin. The theological term for this is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, that a substitute allows God to pass over you so that you can pass from death to life. What an amazing gift. What, what amazing news the gospel is that you are safe forever because of the blood of Jesus, because of atonement. The center of our salvation is the blood of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, since we have been now justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We are justified. We are made right because of his blood. That's why we talk about the precious blood. That's why we sing about the precious blood. That's why there's so much to do about blood here in the Old Testament. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood 
the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. 1 Peter 1.18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 1 John 1.7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. So why is it Jesus' blood? It had to be. It could only be the blood of the only sinless person who ever lived. The only person who was worthy. The only person who ever walked this earth and did not own, owe the penalty for sin himself. In Hebrews 9, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It had to be that way. God will not, he cannot arbitrarily forgive people. It's part of his justice. He forgives only because of the blood shed by his son as the only possible substitute that was enough. But you might read stories like this from the Old Testament and still think, why is it so gory? Why is it so drastic? Why does it seem so extreme? But in all honesty, many people do not realize how bad of a situation they are in. We don't grasp the gravity of our sin, the cost of our sin. There's a quote by a guy named Joseph Parker He says, an extreme condition demands an extreme remedy. Until you see that you are doomed, apart from Jesus Christ, you will never truly count his blood precious in your sight. sight. Do you realize that our predicament apart from Christ is that we are doomed, that we deserve death? I don't know about you, but there have been times where I felt the weight of my sin. Times where it didn't take a lot to convince me that I had a sin problem. I can think of periods of my life where I knew that there was something wrong inside of me. I remember being a young man, renewing my faith in Christ because there was just a part of me that knew that I needed a Savior. If that's you, if that's you right now and you've never maybe taken that step of receiving that gift from Jesus... There's nothing that you need to do to earn that. There's nothing you need to clean up up in your life in order to receive that. You just have to pray a simple prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you for paying the price that I could not pay. Thank you for being my substitute. I receive this free gift of grace, and I commit to learn what it means to follow you. And if you're in a place today where the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, where you you feel a sense of being ready to take that step, would you not wait? If you're here at the Mount Pleasant campus or at the Alma campus, would you find a pastor? Would you stop by the info center? We would love to come alongside you. If you're online, would you click the prayer button and let us know that you want to take that step? And for us as a church, there's nothing that we want to do more than to come alongside you and teach you what it means to love and follow Jesus. Passover tells us about our sin. 
It tells us about our substitute, our salvation, and finally, Passover tells us about ourselves. For Israel, their entire future changed. As a result of this this freeing moment, God bringing them out of captivity, in verse 2 it says, this month is to be for you. The first month, the first month of your year, God actually reorients their entire calendar around this this freedom story, the story of Passover. It's a restart. It's a do-over. This is the new, new year for them. Their whole future was reoriented because of this part of their past, being redeemed, Becoming and having an identity as the people of God. Their future was changed and their family was also changed. There's rules, if you read through chapter 12, all about how they were meant to celebrate and and, and walk through Passover. I think it's so interesting that the first spiritual ordinance, the first law for the Israelites was a family holiday. It showed the importance of family. That the family was at the core of the nation of Israel, and I think that's definitely, certainly true, still true today. In fact, one of our core values here at Community Church is promoting healthy families, and the, the family of God, our desire is to create that family unit to remember the goodness of God, and the Israelites certainly, as they came together in future Passovers, remembered God's favor on them. But the Passover has two meanings for us. It's a way of remembering God's deliverance of Israel, and that's incredibly important. But it also points to our deliverance, that we would ultimately be delivered years after that first Passover by one who was to come, whose sacrifice would be sufficient once and for all, whose death would be enough and would no longer require the ongoing spilling of innocent blood in our place. Before Christ, the death of a lamb was only a temporary covering. I have to imagine these families. Years of going through a Passover, years of offering sacrifices, lamb after lamb being killed, year after year, and and wondering, the shock wears off, and you say, does one more lamb really make a difference? And every lamb that was sacrificed fell short. Until the Lamb, Jesus, made all the difference. He was enough to atone for the sin of every man and woman who reaches out and receives receives him. And he makes a way for God to pass over us in judgment and welcome us into eternal life in heaven. Friends, our entire self-identity changes in the light of this. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I don't know if you've met someone who went through a drastic change in their life after experiencing Jesus. Maybe you knew them before and their life was falling apart. Everything seemed to turn to ashes around them. They they were filled with anger or frustration and they meet Jesus and something just changes. Their whole continence changes. Their outlook on life changes. I don't know if you know stories like that. Maybe you have a story like that. That is the power of the gospel. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus, he was sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper. It was his final time with them before going to the cross. And it was during the Passover celebration. The entire nation of Israel at this time was, was celebrating Passover. Passover, a meal meant 
for sharing with your family. Jesus was sharing it with those who were closest to him on earth. And as they sat, I imagine each one of the men in that circle, they were familiar with the story of the Passover. Having grown up as Jews, they knew the story of the deliverance of God's people. They knew the imagery around the death of the lamb and its substitution for their sin. They knew about the blood on the doorposts and what that meant for their salvation. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks for it and he broke it. He gave to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. He took the cup and he gave thanks and he he gave it to them saying, all of you drink it for this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. And with these words, Jesus linked the Passover of the Old Testament forever with the new covenant that he brought in. During Israel's escape, it was the blood of the lamb that caused God's anger to pass over the house of the Israelites. It was the blood of the lambs that were sacrificed that had to be killed. And then at the Passover feast, the meat of the lamb was cooked and it was eaten with unleavened bread to prepare them for the journey out of Egyptian bondage. And it couldn't be just any lamb. The lamb had to be male, without blemish, without fault, perfect and spotless. And so it was with Jesus, with these symbols that he shared with his disciples. The bread represented his body, his perfect, sinless life that would be broken on the cross. The wine represented his precious blood, the blood of an unblemished lamb. A way for us to always remember the story of our salvation. We're going to finish the service today by taking communion together. And communion here at Community Church is open to all who profess faith in Jesus Christ. doesn't matter if it's been five minutes or 50 years. So here at the Mount Pleasant campus, you can find items in front of you. If you're in Alma or if you're watching online, make sure you have those items ready. But let's take a moment right here in this space. Let's just remember. Let's reflect. Now, how bad is our sin? Just look at the cross of Jesus Christ. He went through that to make you his own. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the God that we worship. That is the God that we serve. Why don't you take a moment right now and stay seated in your seats. Let's just worship him. And I'll come up and we'll partake together.